Welcome to The Well, a podcast all about living wisely and faithfully as a follower of Christ. The goal? To give you guidance, food for thought, and to encourage you as you engage the people and situations that you encounter daily. Now, here's your host, Sean Barkley. Here I sit on a beautiful Saturday morning, the Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. Hope that uh, all is well with you. How are you doing? Are you uh, hanging in there through all this COVID-19? I'm praying and trusting that you are. Thank you for being a part of uh, The Well and listening to this podcast. As I sit here, I'm looking out the window and a man is mowing the church lawn who has Lou Gehrig's disease. And what an inspiration. I just can't get over it. I can't quit watching him just back and forth on that riding lawnmower. Uh, people are amazing, aren't they? Especially those who are walking with the Lord. So anyhow, let's get on with it. So I've been talking about um, the Psalms the last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue today to talk about Psalm 57. You know, one of my favorite um, TED Talks is by Simon Sinek. I have two favorite TED Talks, one by Angela Duckworth, Grit, and the other by Sinek on leadership. And I just wanted to revisit Sinek's TED Talk on leadership this past week, and he reminded me of a story that I probably originally heard from him 10 years ago about a man named Samuel Pierpont Langley. Is that a name that you know? So he lived about 100, well, he was, the story I'm going to tell is about 120 years old. He was uh, an employee at the Smithsonian. He was an employee at Harvard. He was well-connected, highly intellectual, highly successful, and the U.S. Department of War asked if he would accept a $50,000 grant 120 years ago to create a, quote, flying machine and develop that. And so Langley agreed to do that. He hired the best minds that money could buy. The New York Times followed him all over the place. He was well-known, and everyone was rooting for him. His progress was being covered, and Langley was motivated by the fame and by the wealth, and he began work on that project. Unbeknownst to him, in Dayton, Ohio, two brothers, Orville and Wilbur, with very little money, used the proceeds from their bicycle shop to fund their work in creating that same flying machine. Not, not a single person on the Wrights team, Orville and Wilbur's, had even a college education, including them. But they were driven by a purpose. Orville and Wilbur believed that this, quote, flying machine could literally change the course of the world. So Langley wanted to be rich and famous. They, on the other hand, wanted to change the world, open up new horizons for people to enjoy. The Wright brothers, they averaged five crashes a day. They would have to take five sets of parts for their flying machine, and every day before dinner, that's about how many times they crashed. And then on December the 17th, 1903, they flew. In fact, I've stood on that very ground those very sand dunes at Kitty Hawk where they tested their flying machine. The day that Langley found out about what the Wrights had accomplished, he quit. I mean, think about it. He quit. He could have offered to help. He could have offered to enhance what they were doing. He could have offered to partner with them. He quit. Why? Because he wanted fame and not to change the world. Amazing the difference in purpose fueling the difference in the results. I want to talk about purpose today. I was reading not long ago about Nelson Mandela. When he was a prisoner in South Africa, he was given a hammer and told to bust rocks all day. Of course, there was absolutely no purpose 
and busting up these rocks. It was designed to break his will because he was asked to work in a way that had no fruit for no reason. You know, I think about years ago, I think I've told you, I used to work at a church camp as a lifeguard and a maintenance man out in the Daniel Boone National Forest in eastern Kentucky. And the guy that I worked with and I would, when the children got bored, give them things to do that made no sense just to help them pass the time before their next meal. Hard to imagine 200 acres being bored in the Daniel Boone National Forest, but some of them would get bored. And so we would say, go down to the lake and look for shark's teeth. And they would go down there and look for shark's teeth at this lake in the middle of the mountains of eastern Kentucky. Or we'd tell them to go look for four-leaf clovers in the parking lot. And they'd go out there and dutifully do that. We'd tell them to go look for the mail or go get the mail out of the mailbox, knowing that we had already gotten the mail earlier that day. When we'd have groups come in from cities, urban areas, youth groups, who are maybe doing work projects in some of those small eastern Kentucky communities, we would take them out into the woods and send them on a snipe hunt. And of course, we described a snipe in great detail, kind of looked like a small owl, beautiful, uh, interesting bird, very rare, found only in those parts, and they'd go out looking for a snipe. Of course, there is no such thing as a snipe. And eventually, they would all get wind of it, and they would become frustrated with us. You know, we need to have a purpose. You know, having a purpose... It energizes us, and when we don't have a purpose, when we see no reason for what we're doing, we lose our energy, we become depleted. I know that in my own life, if I'm asked to do something, just because it's what we always do, or just because it's tradition, and hey, as a Presbyterian minister, I've done that a lot, I I tend to want to know why, and if there's no real why behind it, I completely lose my energy. So what I want to do is, is read from Psalm 57 today. And, and we'll get kind of started with that. And look at how understanding the fact that God has a purpose for us informs the way that we see life. It informs the way we see different events, different situations. It informs the way that we see different people, how we interpret challenges, disagreements, and opportunities. Purpose matters. And so at the beginning of Psalm 57, gosh, I just literally opened my Bible right to it. It's going to be a good day. Literally, just open the Bible. Here it is, Psalm 57. It begins with this preface to the choir master to the tune of Do Not Destroy. Don't know what the tune of Do Not Destroy is. I'm guessing it was uh, probably a catchy tune. Not. And then beyond that, it says, A mictum from David when he fled from Saul into the cave. And so here's the context. David was writing this psalm while hiding from Saul in a cave. Remember, Saul was the first king of Israel. He wanted David dead because David had been anointed the future king, and, and Saul saw this young guy as a rival. And so Saul sent thousands of soldiers to look all over the countryside for David. So it's not a very good time in his life. He's hiding out. He's fearful for his life. He's cut off from the people he loves. Not good. And here's what he writes. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. For in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to the God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp words. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. And let your glory be all over the earth. 
They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They, they dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love reaching the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory cover the earth. Wow. As I look at this psalm, there's some things I notice immediately before we get into the details. One, in spite of a situation, did you notice that David really didn't ask God to fix things or even change them? He just praised and worshiped God and expressed trust in Him. He didn't ask God to harm Saul. He didn't say, listen, God, you're the one who anointed me, and now, Lord, this guy's after me. you got to take care of that. I noticed that he saw that God was doing something larger, and he was a small piece of that. And then the last thing I see, just again, kind of general stuff, is David displayed tremendous faith in God's care and in God's sovereign purposes being worked out in the difficult time. And so look at these words of faith. Um, he says, for God, God fulfills his purpose in me. Uh, I lie down among ravenous beasts, and yet I will sing and make music. In other words, when I'm lying down among ravenous beasts, I'm just, hey, I'm chilled out. I'm relaxed. I'm sleeping here. I'm okay. And in spite of these ravenous beasts, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a worship service. I'm going to have a party. He showed tremendous faith in God. So this, <laughs> this talk that I'm giving today is going to be tough for those of us who are often driven to succeed. And that would be me. Highly driven, highly competitive, um, type A when it comes to uh, the work that I'm called to do. And so what I want to say is, God has a purpose for you and me. We're good about that, right? But it's not about you and me. Your purpose is not about you. Mine is not about me. Your purpose is not about your family. It's not about your legacy. It's not about your community. It's not even about your church. What is God's purpose for you and me? Verse 5 of that psalm, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. Why are you and I in this planet? on this planet? To glorify God. That's our sole purpose. If you've ever heard of the catechism, it's essentially a document written by scholars years ago, a series of questions and answers that are rooted in the Reformed faith. And the very first question in the catechism is, what is the chief end of humanity? Pretty good question. What is the chief end of Why are we here, in other words? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I think that's an important question for you and me to ask. Why am I here? And how do I glorify God and enjoy Him forever? Going back to Simon Sinek in that um, TED Talk. I keep wanting to say podcast, not podcast. TED Talk, Sean. He wrote a book, Start With Why. One of my favorite books. I'm looking at it on my bookshelf as we speak. And he basically says there's what he calls a golden circle. Think about a bullseye. At the center of the bullseye is the word why. The next ring around the bullseye is the word how. And the outside ring is the word what. The bullseye is why do we exist. Think about this as an organization or just in your own life as, as a human being. Why do we exist? The second ring is how do we exist. And the third ring is 
what do we do to exist? And what Sinek observes is that many failed organizations, and I would say many frustrated people, start with the what. What do we do? What are we going to do here? And after we decide what we're going to do, we just go through those motions. And so many of us go through life consumed with what we're to do and how to do it rather than why we are doing it. We are here. The why for you and me is we're we're going to glorify God. We're going to enjoy God forever. That is the purpose for your life and for mine. And so if you're a teacher, for example, you're in that classroom to teach those children to the glory of God. If you're in business, your job is to glorify God in the way you do your business. If you're a parent, your job is to glorify God in the way you parent your children and care for your family. <laughs> you know, God has an ultimate purpose for you and me, and it's not about you and me. I was reading in, the, in that book about Volkswagen. You know, the word Volkswagen means car of the people. It, it was to be fun and carefree. You know, you think about the little Volkswagen Beetle, and they're just fun little carefree cars. And then Volkswagen decided they would introduce to the market a $70,000 car called the Phaeton. And they sold very few. Why? They weren't faithful to their why. They weren't faithful to who they were. They weren't faithful to their ultimate purpose. So you and I, our ultimate purpose in life is to glorify God. Now, you know, when I say that, I know it's kind of lofty, soaring language. Let me help you think about what it means to glorify. In, in the book of First Chronicles, chapter 16, to glorify God is to worship the splendor of God's holiness. And so we are drawing people's attention to God and not to self. We're helping others see God's power through us, to see God's grace through us. We are encouraging them to appreciate God and to worship God. So we glorify God by pointing people to Him and doing what He has told us to do in life. You know, after I preach a sermon, when I was a young preacher, I'm not young anymore, not old, not young, I used to love when people would say, hey, what a great preacher. That was my goal. <laughs> not, not, not very good. As I have matured over the years, my goal is not for people to say, what a great preacher. My goal is for people to say, what a great God, after I conclude a sermon. Your purpose is to glorify God. Psalm 106, verse 8, Yet God saved Israel, why? For His name's sake, to make His mighty power known. Your salvation in Christ is given to you just as it's given to me, in order that we might glorify Him and point people to Him. That's what our purpose is. Now you might be wondering, let me pause here, why does God need to be glorified? Great question. I mean, God doesn't need our adulation in order to feel like God. He doesn't need us because God is sovereign. Here's what I want you to remember. This is what Paul wrote about God's glory in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. How do we see God's glory? We see it in Christ. Jesus didn't flaunt his power. He didn't flaunt his position, unlike what you and I do. No, his glory, the splendor of his holiness was seen in His sacrifice for you and me. And that inspires me to give God glory. So we are not giving glory to a God who's just like soaking it up saying, ah, everybody just bow down and worship me because that's why I created you. 
No, we're, we're bowing down to the one who says, I created you, I don't need you, but I love you so much, I've literally given my life for you. Paul concludes, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name to the glory of the Father. And so glorifying God is pointing people to the God who loves us so much he sacrificed his, sacrificed his life for us. We're here. Another insight about this text as we think about what it means to ask the question, why am I here? We're here to glorify God. We're also here to allow God to make us into the person He wants us to be. So think this. What is God doing in my life these days? You see, God is interested in building our character much more than simply making us comfortable. I point to verse 1 of chapter 57. Have mercy on me, O God, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in your wings until the disaster is past. Note the use of the word refuge, which I kept saying refuge <laughs> to emphasize. David's refuge wasn't that cave. It wasn't a slingshot. It wasn't the fact that he was anointed king. No, his refuge was in God alone. That was God's purpose in David's David. David is my son's name. That was God's purpose in David, to build that sense that he could depend on God, to build that closeness, and to, and to build that obedience. He's doing something in your life right now as well, because I think we're learning that our refuges aren't permanent on this side of heaven. They're going to fail. I mean, there are obvious things that are failing. Our economy is failing. We've got 30 million people out of work. Our careers can fail, our health can fail, our institutions that we have depended on, that we have looked to for meaning, they can fail. We also know that personally our abilities can fail, our gifts can fail, our experiences can fail. We learn that all these are not reliable and so we do what? We turn to God. That's what God is doing in your life right now, creating this dependence on Him and this love for Him and this attachment to Him. It's what God can build in you regardless of where you are. You see, God created us persons. And, and life with Him is personal. And so He wants us to joyfully and creatively and intelligently surrender our wills to Him. Surrender our wills to Him so that we can have that deep relationship. I'm going to confess here that I've been upset with my son this week. And I don't get upset with him very often. He's an awesome guy, but he's struggling right now. You know, And, and I should know better. He's struggling because he you know, graduated from college, no graduation, no recognition. He can't go anywhere. He can't see his friends. He's kind of cooped up in, in our home. He's 24 years old. You know, it's, it's hard, and I totally get that. And he's in a bad mood. And I've been upset with him for struggling, not because, well, I'll tell you why I've been upset with him. I'm upset because he's made my home life less enjoyable. His struggles make my life less to tolerable. In other words, I'm upset with him because of how he's making me feel. I'm not thinking about what he's going through. And so who is it about? It's about me. It's not about him. He's going to get through this. I'm going to get through this as well. But I have to remember that God can use this situation in his life to build this, this connection, to help him see that God is his refuge. And so rather than get mad at him, what I need to do is say, God, God, help me help him understand what you're doing in his life. You see, when you and I cooperate with God, when we yield to him, when we surrender to him, 
He will fulfill His purpose in our lives. David said in verse 2, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose in me. In David's life, this means that God would preserve him for the kingship and not allow the wicked plans of Saul to prevail. And so he asks for mercy from God. He says, God, I've made my mistakes. Please, please, please weave my bad decisions and flaws into something that will glorify you. God is working his plan out for this world, and he will see it through. And so I think one of the things you and I ask ourselves is, do I want to be a part of that plan? And what boggles my mind is this. Once we proclaim, God, I don't want to be the center of my universe, then God continues to work out his plans for our lives. But as long as we try to make it about us and make ourselves the center of the universe, life does not work out quite so well. You see, God's not asking us to find shark's teeth on the side of a lake in the mountains of East Kentucky. He's not asking us to find four-leaf clovers in parking lots. He's not taking us on a snipe hunt. God is saying, I have created you beautifully. <laughs> I've gifted you. I've given you intellect all so that you can glorify me. And that's the purpose of your life. And so uh, I'm getting long-winded in these, I know. But just some food for thought today. Go back and read Psalm 57 again if you would. But just remember, God has a purpose for your life, and it's not about you. He has a purpose for mine, it's not about me. And we'll leave it at that. You have a terrific week. I look forward to next time. Take good care. Bye for now.